Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. So the Lord Jesus Christ, we testify and we proclaim today, you heard it again and again in song and prayer already, He's alive. He has risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. He's alive. Will you be? As Amanda alluded to in her prayer, there's all different kinds of beliefs about life after death. Some people in our day, uh, many people in fact, I think it's a growing number, actually believe that when we die, this physical body, we're going to be extinguished. There's going to be nothing beyond this life. When we expire, we're gone, we're annihilated, we're totally dust. Other people have a different belief. Hundreds of millions of people around the world believe in reincarnation. They believe that after this, this body dies, the soul or the essence migrates to another form, maybe a cow or another person or something like that. But reincarnation is a real belief among a lot of people. Other people believe that when we die, we leave this body behind. The ancient Greeks, they thought much of this body as, as a prison, that it was holding us back from our true self, our real being, our real identity. So they looked forward to the release of death to where the spirit could be totally free and expressive. And so a lot of people believe that the spirit goes on forever, maybe in some people's minds like a ghost, just drifting in the ether, drifting here and there, living and finding their, its way uh, wherever it would go for how many hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years, who knows. And then there's Christians who believe that uh, when we die, this body is done away with and we become spirits and we go to heaven and we dwell in heaven as spirits forever. What about the resurrection? What does it mean for us? Jesus rose from the dead physically and bodily, materially. Will we? Once this life is over and this body is laid in the ground or put in a casket or burnt up and put in an urn, is there a future physically for us in the world? A physical existence beyond the grave? Jesus rose. Will you? The Apostle Paul, uh, he faced many different circumstances and he had many different constituencies, as it were, as an apostle, many different people that he served, many different churches that had different beliefs and ideals about life and understandings about life. And one of the most interesting churches that he dealt with was the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was a powerful church. They had all the gifts, they had all the enthusiasm, all the energy. Man, they were a go-getting church, a faith-filled church. But one of the issues they dealt with was they didn't believe in resurrection. How did Paul talk to them? How did Paul experience their belief? And how did he try to get them to see Christian belief, the gospel belief? Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. What is the gospel? What is the truth? What is the hope that we Christians have? 
is your Christian hope the biblical hope? Or do you need to maybe raise up your game and raise up your understanding, come in line with the truth about what the future actually holds for you? Chapter 15, verse 1, 1 Corinthians. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you've believed in vain. So he's writing these, these brothers and sisters in Christ who don't believe in a resurrection, and he, he's, he's got to make some things sure here. And I, I, I want to clear, clarify some things for you. He's saying, I want to explain some things. I want to make clear to you what the truth is. I don't want you to believe with a false belief or an empty belief. I want you to believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And so uh, Paul, uh, he, after he became a Christian, after he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, he saw the risen Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. But a few years later, he went to Jerusalem, and he received the verbal message from Peter and the other apostles. He met Jesus, and then he heard it from other Christians. I delivered to you. I brought the gospel to you, Corinthians. I say this is of first importance. This is the core of what I received. That first, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared more than 500 brothers at one time, more, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James and to the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And uh, So he, he's, he's really laying out what is the gospel that we believe. Do we believe what really is true, what God wants us to believe, the message of Jesus? Uh, and again, there, there's some basics here. What I receive, I want to I make clear because he's going he's gonna to go into life after death. He says the first thing is, Christ died for our sins, uh, for our sins. It was a purpose. Christ died on purpose. You can read through the Gospels, and there's a purpose for him going to the cross, for our sins. Uh, this is foundational to the Gospel. This is something we absolutely have to understand if we're going to believe in Jesus, if we're going to be saved. Uh, we are sinners. That's what the Bible testifies, tells us again and again. We have rebelled against God. We've violated his standards, we've, we've said no to his commandments, we've sinned against him. We've done what we've wanted to and we've rebelled against him, we've disobeyed him. We're sinners. The problem with being sinners is that God is holy, he's not sin. He's holy, no sin within him. He's pure. Uh, he cannot look upon sin. He cannot deal with sin, being in the presence of sin. And so what happens, the consequence of us rebelling against God, the consequence of us hurting people and, and, and sinning against people and sinning against God is there's a separation. There's a distance between us and God. Really what it means is God's going to judge us. Because of our sin, we are condemned by God. The, the court has found us guilty. God has found us guilty. We're condemned and we will be judged. And unless something happens, the gospel, unless something happens that my evil is dealt with, that it's forgiven, my sins are forgiven, my, my sin is covered, unless that happens, I will not be in heaven. I will not be in the kingdom of God. I need something to happen, and that's 
the good news, the start of the good news. Christ died for your sins. Praise God. Christ went to the cross. All of your sins were placed upon him, O Christian. All of your evil, all of your wickedness, all of your evil thoughts, all of your evil words, all of your evil actions that God found you heinous for, God, God looked upon you in anger for. You know, God hates sin. Thank God we have a God that's wrathful. Thank God we have a God that hates sin, that, that won't let sin abide in this world. The problem for us is that because we're sinners and he hates sin, the things that we do, he will judge us. But because Jesus stood in our place, he took all of our sins upon him. He was the atoning sacrifice for our sin. He, he was the substitutionary sacrifice. He stood in our place. The wrath of God was poured upon him. We celebrated that. We remembered that on Friday night. The three hours from noon to 3 p.m. as the darkness symbolically came over the land, God was judging Jesus for your sins, killing Jesus for your sins so that you wouldn't have to be punished and you wouldn't have to die under the wrath of God. And so that's the beginning of the gospel. If you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, you are justified. You're declared righteous in the sight of God. His death for our life, his his giving of himself so that we could be forgiven. A great exchange has taken place. He paid our debt, the sinless one, so that we sinners could be declared righteous by God. The judge says, because Jesus paid it all, you are forgiven. No more charges. So that's the first part of the gospel. Verse 4, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Scripture said he was going to die. The Scriptures pointed out that there's going to be a substitutionary atonement. The Old Testament all encouraged that direction. But he says, the second part of the gospel, he was buried. Now, this is very important. Jesus didn't swoon on the cross. He didn't just pass out. He just didn't go unconscious for a season, and he woke up in the tomb. There was a corpse that was laid in the tomb. Jesus literally, really, truly died. But on the third day, just as he predicted, just as he said, which is an amazing miracle, which means he was omniscient, he knew it was coming. On the third day, he rose from the dead. The corpse became animated again. The corpse, the physical body, became alive again. It's not some, some myth. It's not some, some uh, interesting history that, that maybe people developed or made up. He came alive. And the core part of the gospel, the essential part of the gospel, they go together. He died, he rose. There was Calvary, then there's the empty tomb. They go together. To believe, to be saved as a Christian, you hold these truths as real. And then to show the empty tomb wasn't just, uh, just the, the body wasn't stolen, the body wasn't taken, it wasn't hidden, they didn't go to the wrong tomb. He says that, man, after he rose on the third day, that Sunday morning, people saw him. People saw him again and again. They talked with him. They ate with him. They walked with him. They journeyed with him on the road. They, they, they experienced him. They saw him. They smelled him. They touched him. They heard him. He was alive physically, materially alive, not just a spirit, not just a ghost. He was the incorruptible, risen, glorious Jesus. And so Paul is saying this, this is the core of the gospel. This is the center of the gospel. If you believe it, you're saved. If you don't hold on to these truths, what do you believe? What, what is your belief? 
what is your understanding of things? And that's where he starts to talk, to preach to the Corinthians. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Okay, I, I've told you the gospel. I've told you the truth. This is the core that I heard from Jesus and I received from, from the other Christians, the early Christians, the other apostles. I am telling you Jesus rose from the dead. How can you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, now he goes to some logic. If this is true, this must be true as well. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. What he's saying there, if you don't believe that Jesus is alive, your faith is a corpse. Your faith is empty. What you believe is meaningless. If you think that Jesus is still rotting in a grave somewhere or his, his bones have turned to dust and you can find a tomb somewhere or he's in the ground somewhere still, you can go find his bones or his skull. If you think that's true, you don't have a Christian faith. He's alive. We even uh, would be found misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. If Christ, and, and here's the, the crux of what he's saying, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, those who are, you're dead in Christ, your, your grandma, your, your, your ancestors, those who have fallen asleep, so to speak, the, the euphemism, the metaphor, falling asleep, they're, they're, if they're dead in Christ and there's no resurrection, they truly have perished. The heart of it is, if, if Jesus didn't come back alive, then that means your sins weren't paid for by his sacrifice. His propitiatory sacrifice, his atoning sacrifice, it covered our sins, it turned away the wrath of God because he took it all. But if, if he didn't rise from the dead, it means God didn't accept his sacrifice. The Father didn't accept his work on the cross. Jesus died for our transgressions, says Romans 4.25. He was raised to life for our justification. In other words, we know that his work was accepted on the cross because he came back to life. If he never came back to life, you and I are still guilty before the Heavenly Father. You and I are still condemned before God, and you and I will be judged by God, face the wrath of God. But because he's alive, it means his work for you and for me paying our debt, paying it in full, it's been accepted. And by his stripes, his wounds, his sacrifice, we are healed spiritually, made right with God. He, he goes on in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You understand what he's saying there? He's saying if Christ is dead still, if he never rose from the grave, he never physically, materially rose from the grave, then, then Paul's saying, my life has been a waste. Paul, you, you know some of his lists, like I was shipwrecked for Jesus, I was flogged for Jesus, I traveled here and there for Jesus, I'm homeless for Jesus. I became all things for all people to bring the gospel to, to, of Jesus to people. And my, all the rejection he faced, all, all the, the hatred he faced from his culture, all the troubles he went through, he says, man, if, if that was for nothing, I'm the most pitiful man alive. My, my life is a joke. If Jesus is dead, I, I've wasted my life. 
and I'm, and I'm to be pitied, as are all the churches in the world, if Jesus never rose from the dead. But, verse 20, one of the greatest buts in Scripture. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as a man, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. All the believers in Christ shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, uh, the Apostle Paul's argument, it's rather condensed, it's compacted, and let me just make it as clear as possible for, for you what, what he's saying. He's saying Jesus has risen from the dead, and that directly impacts you. That directly impacts me. Verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he gives a, a, a term to Jesus, a title, if you will. It's a metaphor that he uses to describe what's happened with Jesus and how it affects us. But in fact, Christ has been raised from, from, raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, there's a lot of depth to this. There's, there's a lot of history to this. In the Old Testament, uh, during the uh, various festivals, Passover festival, Feast of Unleavened Bread, some of your translations say Feast of Weeks, uh, the Pentecost festival 50, 50 days later, during, during, for instance, the Feast of Weeks, that the the, the barley harvest, would, they, they bring the first parts of the barley harvest. They, they do a wave offering to the Lord. They'd offer it to the Lord with the idea that the, the first fruits. We're going to give you our first because we know there's a greater harvest to come. At Pentecost, the wheat harvest. They bring the first part of the wheat harvest to the Lord as an offering because they knew there's a greater wheat harvest to come. It's like this idea of when an apple tree right, produces that first bloom and, and that first little fruit starts to grow. You know, that first fruit, there's going to be much more to come. And so what, what he's saying here, Jesus is the first fruits, God's first fruit. And what that means is you're guaranteed, if you are in Christ, that you will rise from the dead physically and body as well. Jesus is our first fruits. God, it's, it's like it's a, this inevitable guarantee. Uh, Paul's, Paul's eschatology, his view of the end times, the Jewish understanding of things. He saw that at the end times there was a great resurrection of people. Israel would rise. All the faithful of Israel would rise. And he's saying, Jesus is risen. And that means everybody else of the faith will rise as well. He's the first fruits. Okay? And so to bring out this idea, this inevitable, this coming of, of a harvest of souls, a resurrection of people from the dead, he goes a little bit further in verse 21. For, he's like, let me explain this to you a little bit farther. As by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see the, the, the parallelism he's using there. He's saying because all of us come from the line of Adam, our federal head, our forefather Adam, he sinned and he died, and that means all of us are going to die. All of us are going in the box. All of us are going to perish. None escape unless Jesus comes back soon. None of us will go on living because we're related to Adam. He said, in the same way, 
Now that you, Christian, have come into Jesus Christ, you've trusted him, you, you, you've, you've given him your life, you trusted him for salvation, now that you're in Jesus, the one who has risen from the dead, you too will rise in Christ. It's a guarantee. It's inevitable is what Paul is saying. You won't be reincarnated. You won't be extinguished. You won't uh, just go be a ghost in this, in this land forever. One day you will rise from the dead. And, and he gets a little bit more intense here. The, the, the pictures get a little bit deeper, and, and, and it's hard to wrap our minds around, but let me give you a third picture he's describing here of the inevitability of our resurrection. Verse 23, but in each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And, and so when will you rise from the dead? When will the dead in Christ, those, you, those who you have buried, your loved ones you've put in the ground, the loved ones you said goodbye to, if they're in Jesus, they will rise from the dead at Jesus' coming, his second coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Now the end, you know, different Christians believe different things about this and it's okay, there's some mystery to it. Some Christians think that as soon as Jesus comes back, that's the end of this age. Other Christians think there's going to be a literal thousand year reign where Jesus comes and there's going to be multiple resurrections. Don't get hung up on some of those details. See what he's saying here. He's saying that the analogy is this. When a king is going to establish his kingdom, he has to subdue all enemies. When a king is going to establish his kingdom over a certain geographical area or over a certain Society, he has to put down all the enemies. And so Paul's saying, Jesus Christ came as king. That's what we've been learning in the gospel of Mark as we've been studying it. Jesus said again and again, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Get ready. Repent. The kingdom, the rule of God is coming. And so he came as, as the first fruit. He came as the forebearer, the forerunner. He went to that cross. He died. He rose again. He's the first of the dead. Okay? The kingdom, one day it's going to be literal, physical. It's going to be here. It's going to be right here in this world. But the king, before he hands over the kingdom to the father, he has to deal with all the enemies. And the last enemy, he says, is death. Some of you know that enemy all too well. Some of you have shed so many tears over the loss of the ones you love you wonder how the Bible could say this enemy has been overcome. Jesus' victory today, what does it mean? And, and Paul is understanding that. He's saying the victory is going to come when all the graves are emptied. The, the, before Jesus hands over the kingdom for eternity to the Father, he's going to deal with death. He's going to subdue death. He's going to get rid of death completely, absolutely. He's going to finish it. How is that going to happen? By the emptying of all the graves. By resurrection. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign. And right now Jesus is reign, he reigns right now. Remember before he ascended to heaven he said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Right now he reigns. Every authority 
rule and power must be destroyed. For he must reign until he's put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. The resurrection, the, the point is, he's first fruits. What started with Jesus is going to finish with all of his people. What started with Jesus rising from the dead, all in Jesus will rise from the dead. When the king establishes his kingdom fully and completely, all the graves will be empty. Some will go to eternal death, as it were, the lake of fire. Some will be raised to life in the kingdom of God. If you're in Christ, you will be raised. Now I want to go down a path to understand this a little bit more. When you die, what happens? When you die, certainly when we die, we go to be with heaven, in heaven with God. But when you die, if you died tonight, if God took your life away tonight, you, if, if you're a Christian, you would go to be with, with God in heaven. Uh, let, me, let me just really quickly show you a few verses. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's a fearful for his life. He thinks that they might take his life because he's following Christ and obeying Christ. But he says in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ. In other words, he's going to serve Christ as long as he lives. But to die is gain. He's not afraid of death. If I'm to go uh, to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Paul's expectation that when he died, he would go be with Jesus. You need to have the same expectation, O Christian. If you trusted in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, when you die, you have the same expectation, and you're going to go be with Jesus. There's a moment on the cross where we saw uh, this, this playing out, what Jesus expected, what Jesus believed about his death. Chapter 23 of Luke, Luke chapter 23, verse 42. Now, thinking about your, your death, what does life look like after death? Verse 42, and he said, Jesus, who said that? A criminal on the cross. The criminals, remember, like all the passerbyers were mocking him, all the chief priests and scribes were mocking him, even those who were crucified by him on his right and his left, with him, crucified on his right and his left, they mocked him, they taunted him, they hated him. But then when this one criminal says, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He, he's come to belief that Jesus can save him. He's come to belief that maybe Jesus is the Messiah, that he can rescue him. And he said, and Jesus said to him, Today I say to you, today, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. What was Jesus' expectation for his, right after his death? His life after death, he believed he was going to a place called paradise. It's a word that's used of a garden, of, of, of a lush garden, a safe place, a rescuing place. And he told the guy who was dying with him, you're going to be with me. And so our, our, our understanding of life after death, it starts with the idea that right after we die, we go to be with God in a safe place. Your loved ones who have died, they're with Jesus right now. If they're in Christ, if they trusted in Christ, if they're Christians, they're with Jesus right now, safe and secure. But... There's more to the story. The Bible gives a bigger picture, a bigger, a bigger end-time view of how you and I will live and where we will live. Let me explain it this way. The three days 
that Jesus, the par parts of three days, it's a condensed time, the way Jewish, reckon, Jewish uh, time reckons things, parts of three days. He was living, physically living, and then he died. So his body died. So parts of three days, he was spiritually alive in a place called paradise. There are some traditions that say he descended into hell. That we, that's another sermon. Okay, but he was spiritually alive. What happened on the third day? There was a new life that came about, a life after his spiritual life, after death. Okay? You and I, when we die, we will go to heaven to be with God if we're in Christ. But there's more to the story. You and I, if we're in Christ, we will rise from the dead because Jesus rose from the dead. Physically and spiritually and bodily. The, 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 the Bible's picture of the future is so much grander and bigger than sometimes we realize. Why would we need a physical body if we're just going to float around in the clouds? Why would we be raised from the dead physically and bodily if we're just going to be out there in the ether somewhere? God's plan is not to raise you from the dead without putting you in a physical place. The Bible's vision for this is tremendous and incredible. Let me just quickly run through some scriptures with you to show you my point. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus has been talking about how hard it is for a rich man to enter heaven, and the disciples are blown away. <clears throat> he talks about the end. He says, Jesus said to them, verse 28 of Matthew, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on the glorious throne, you have followed me, will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus had a literal belief that he would be part of a new world. Some of your, some of your translations said, at the renewal of all things, at the renewal of things, Jesus said. The ESV says, in the new world. He literally believed there would be a new world coming about. I don't know who said it. I can't remember who said it. But, but he said, he said it this way. What God the Father did to Jesus, God intends to do to the whole cosmos. In other words, God is bringing about a new world. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Let me, let me expound on this a little bit. Chapter 3, verse 10 of 2 Peter. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter's vision of the end, the end is that the, this world is going to be destroyed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in, in, in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the day, hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. The biblical vision of this universe, of this cosmos, is going to be transformed. It's going to be cleansed. It's going to be destroyed and remade. He says, but according to his promise, Peter says, according to God's promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We will be raised from the dead to participate and live in a new world that God brings about. What, Jesus, what God did with Jesus in bringing him back to life, as it were, he's going to do to the whole cosmos. He's going to bring this world that is so broken and tainted with sin, so bent outside of his original created plan, he's going to make something new for us to dwell on with him. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea is no more. Do you think this is metaphor? Do you think this is just, uh, just uh, poetry or something? The Revelation, the author of Revelation said, I saw the vision that John was given. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place that God is with man. He will dwell with them. Who will dwell with them? The risen Christ, the one who's right now in heaven bodily, man, God, fully God, fully man. He will dwell with his people. Who will he dwell with? Those he raises from the dead on the new earth, the new world. Our heaven, our, our understanding of heaven is so much bigger. That it, it needs to be so much bigger than sometimes we think. We, we, yeah, we're going to raise and we're going to become spirits. And we're going to be with God in heaven, but not forever. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to raise you to life and he's going to raise a new world for you to live in. You don't want to be absent from that life. He at that place will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on a throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. If you die in Christ, one day you will be made new. This corruptible body that's prone to, to brokenness and disease and sickness, one day it will be replaced with an incorruptible body filled with the Spirit of God. A glorious body like Jesus' glory, glorious body risen from the dead to dwell upon a new world and a new earth that God brings by His omniscient power, His omnipotent power. He'll bring it about for us to dwell on forever. Praise God. Since Jesus raised from the dead, since God brought him from the grave, physically and bodily, if you are in Christ, if you've trusted him, if you've given him your life, you repented of your sins and turned to him and believed in him as your Lord and Savior, you too will go to heaven when you die, but you too, when he comes back, will be raised to eternal life in the kingdom of God forever and ever. That is our hope. That is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate. He's won the victory. He's defeated death. And one day, then you will defeat death too. New life forevermore. Please stand in the Lord's presence. Oh, Lord God Almighty. Lord, when we look at our bodies right now as Christians, we're, we're a shadow of what we will be. When we look at our bodies right now, it's like, our, like being compared to a ghost or something. So much more is ahead. So much more is beyond. So much more is coming when you come back. And so, Lord, we do. We take your, your, your call to prayer seriously. When you taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come even today. We pray that you would come back, Lord, and you would reign and you would rule. And you would make this world your own. Lord, Give us the grace to be bold as men and women of faith. Give us the grace to be bold that we know our, our labor for you is not in vain because whatever happens, whatever comes, whatever transpires in this crazy world we live in, all the possibilities and constituencies that are they're, they're taking place, are, are, that are fighting for certain things and certain beliefs and certain, we know that all those things will be set aside and you will reign. So we ask that you would come, Lord. And give us the grace and give us the faith to believe 
that we are going with you one day to that new life. Send us, Lord, as your people of worship and praise. Thank you. Thank you for the victory. Thank you for the hope. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.